Welcome back. Wednesday, February 17th. I think this is the second time in the history of our monologues where I had a monologue prepared and I had to rewrite it. First was January 6th. Today, February 17th, as I had just finished the last notes on my last monologue, I learned of the passing of Rush Limbaugh and tried to scribble these thoughts, feeble though they are, to match the circumstances. Few lives changed the world. Rush Limbaugh changed the world. Few things I can say that haven't been said by others, but for those in radio broadcast, but for him, none of us would be here. He rescued the format. He actually invented the format. One could fairly say he saved AM radio. Andy McCarthy wrote this of Rush. Rush is an American original. It is is said of some originals that if you didn't have them, you'd have to invent them. Voltaire was talking about God when he said it. Yet no one could have ever invented Rush because he was inconceivable. When he burst upon the national scene over three decades ago, popular political media was the preserve of the political left. The thought of anyone, much less an unabashed conservative, carrying a three-hour daily broadcast through monologues teeming with conviction and good cheer with the occasional phone call but virtually no guests, was not just unheard of. It was not in the realm of perceived possibility. It took talent on loan from God, for sure, but it mainly took a guy with supreme belief in himself, belief that was well-founded because it sprang from a unique combination of life experience, of getting off the floor when life knocks you down, and of a sense of destiny about doing what you're born to do. Add to that Russia's abiding faith in the innate goodness of America, of her traditions, love of liberty, willingness to sacrifice, and grasp that human flourishing means learning from our mistakes. Matt Cottonetti writes, No media figure since William Buckley has had a more lasting influence on American conservatism than Rush Limbaugh, whose cumulative weekly audience is more than 20 million people. Since national syndication in 1988, Rush Limbaugh has been the voice of conservatism, his three-hour program blending news, politics, and entertainment into a powerful and polarizing, sometimes, cocktail. It's one thing to excel in your field. It's another to create the field in which you excel. Conservative talk radio was local and niche before Limbaugh. He was the first to capitalize on regulatory and technological changes that allowed for the national scale. The repeal of the Fairness Doctrine in 1987 freed affiliates to air controversial political opinions without government scrutiny. As music programming migrated to the FM spectrum, AM bandwidth welcomed talk. Listener participation was also critical. It was not until 1982, writes Nicole Hemmer, that AT&T introduced the modern direct dial toll-free calling system that national call-ins use. Limbaugh made the most of those opportunities, and he contributed stylistic innovations of his own. He treated politics not only as a competition of ideas, but also as a contest between liberal elites and the American public. He also added the irreverent and sometimes scandalous humor and cultural commentary of the great DJs. He introduced neologisms that he invented, still in circulation, like Ditto Head, Drive-By Media, Talent on Loan from God, Feminazi. The template he created has been so successful that the list of his imitators on both the left and the right 
is endless. Even his greatest critics, like Al Franken, wanted in the act. Dostoevsky is attributed with saying that the great Russian writers all came out of Gogol's overcoat. Political talk show hosts all come out of Rush Limbaugh's microphone. Limbaugh is not fringe. His views fit in the conservative mainstream. He idolizes Buckley. Buckley was, fundament, was, fund, was a fundamental individual in helping me to be able to explain what I believe instinctively, helping me to explain it to others, Limbaugh once said. The ideas are the same. The salesman is different. Limbaugh's Buckley without the accent, without the Yale, without the sailboat, without the harpsichord. Limbaugh, college dropout from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, who spends Sundays watching the NFL, speaks in plain language. His background connects him to his audience and to the increasing working-class Republican voter. Limbaugh entered stage right as Ronald Reagan was making his exit. He took from Reagan the sense that America's future is bright. America isn't broken, just its liberal political media and cultural elites. He rejected Washington elitism and connected directly with the American people who adored him, Limbaugh said after Reagan's death. He didn't need the press. He didn't need the press to spin what he was or what he did. He had the ability to connect individually with each American who saw them, he said of Reagan. It was true of him, too. And yet the two never met. Limbaugh assumed Reagan's position as leader of the conservative movement. In a letter sent to Limbaugh after the 1992 election, Ronald Reagan wrote this to him, quote, Now that I've retired from active politics, I don't mind that you have become the number one voice for conservatism in our country. I know the liberals call you the most dangerous man in America, but don't worry about it. They used to say the same things about me. Keep up the good work. America needs to hear the way things ought to be, close quote. It's the title of Russia's first book. In a long and even-handed cover story in 1993 by James Bowman, National Review pronounced Limbaugh, quote, the leader of the opposition. Bowman quoted R. Emmett Tyrell, saying, we need to have people who can dramatize I ideas. You need that literary spark. Luigi Barzini had it. Buckley has it. And though he's a great talker rather than a great writer, Rush has it too. More than a decade later, after the Republican defeat in 2008, Limbaugh once again stepped into the breach. The media likened Barack Obama to FDR. Republicans wavered. Should they cooperate with President Obama in building a new foundation for America? Limbaugh gave his answer in 2009. Limbaugh said he hoped Obama failed. Liberalism is our problem. Liberalism is what's gotten us dangerously close to the precipice. Why would I want more of it? The monologue and the speech he delivered at the CPAC conference in Washington became a sensation and set the tone for the Tea Party and Republican victories in 2010 and 2014. Limbaugh did not mock Trump when the businessman announced his presidential campaign in June of 2015. Quote, this is going to resonate with a lot of people, I guarantee you, and the drive-bys are going to poo-poo it, he said. He spent the primary reminding listeners of the importance of defeating Hillary Clinton. Trump was not an ideological candidate, he said. Trump was, Trump was a missile aimed at the establishment. If, ideolo if ideology mattered, then you vote for Ted Cruz. If conservatism is your bag, if conservatism is the dominating factor in how you vote, Limbaugh said in February of 2016, there is no other choice for you in this campaign than Ted Cruz, because you are exactly right. This is the closest in our lifetime 
we have ever been to Ronald Reagan. But Limbaugh added, the feeling in the country might be so anti-establishment that Trump's unusual coalition could win the presidency. And it did. To say that Limbaugh supported the president would be an understatement. Bold, brash, divisive, funny, and amped up. President Trump's style was very similar to a shock, jockeys. His presidency was another reminder of Limbaugh's staying power, too. The American right had been molded in his elitist, grassroots, demotic, irreverent, patriotic, hard-charging image. Rush Limbaugh was not just a talk show host. He defined an era. He had a point to make, and he made it. Britt Hume put it this way. More than any single person, Rush Limbaugh helped break the left's monopoly of the media. The left is still dominant, but not to the extent it was before he came along. He waged a brave struggle against deafness and later the cancer that killed him. He was a giant. But what a great point about breaking the monopoly Britt makes. He did it long before Fox News came along, long before the blogosphere, long before the Internet. He showed it could be done and how it could be done. His reach was amazing. If you were a writer and he quoted your work, you would hear from uncountable old friends or acquaintances you hadn't been in touch with for years or decades. And that piece of work would, of course, get thousands or tens of thousands of more clicks or views. I can tell you I've been more than honored and privileged to have had that experience a few times. You only have that reach if you have credibility, by the way. He had both. And it was one of the great honors and privileges to have when he cited your work. To borrow from Aristotle, he had the power to be and make things be. As Virgil wrote, here too, things noble touch the soul, and there are tears for passing things. Rest in peace, Mr. Limbaugh. You've earned it. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. A little Neil Diamond for you there. Some friends in Ahwatukee. Uh, I'm sending that too. Welcome back. And um, portions of the show being brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. It is the most favorite product I've ever used and endorsed. All natural vine ripe and fruits and veggies peaked at their picked. <laughs> picked. Got my peas. I'm a pea popper, as Frank Sinatra said. Remember that? All natural vine ripened fruits and veggies picked at the peak of ripeness. Really potent, powerful stuff from cherries and mangoes and oranges and pineapple to peppers and kale and wheatgrass. Reduced into vegetarian capsules using their unique cold press process. You get tens of thousands of vital nutrients with one daily dose that boosts your health, energy, and immunity. So important this time of year, really every day. I take it every day. And um, they have a great special, making it easier for you than ever, offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. By the way, I, I do get these questions. Say, if I don't like swallowing vegetarian capsules, easy. They make it really easy to just pop them open, really easy. It's deliberately done that you can um, put them in a drink or on something to eat like uh, cottage cheese or anything. You know, what is with this homicidal fantasy? Have conservatives ever, ever, 
ever done this? And the answer is no. The answer is no. You know, politics ain't beanbag, it's been said. And when one of our opponents passes, you know, from all the conservative lights on Twitter or social media or in broadcast, they all say RIP. We may have disagreed, but rest in peace. You know, a fellow human being passed in a profession that you either were in yourself or respected, maybe you disrespected it, but a fellow human being in a profession you had something to do with passes. Is it that hard to stay silent or say something nice? If you can't say something nice, staying silent. There is this weird homicidal fantasy about when Donald Trump got sick with COVID, my God, Hillary Clinton's former press secretary saying, I hope he dies. Jeffrey Jones, the executive director of the Peabody Awards, said Rush Limbaugh revived overt white and whistle racism. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How? Wrote, he tweeted, made opponents into true enemies, revived overt racism, stifled attempts to revive the fairness, showed Roger Ailes the formula for right-wing broadcast, offered ignorance as common sense thinking. If translating and using the works of William Buckley and all the other conservative lights intellectual heavyweights of translating that and reading those columns on air is um, com- is ignorance. I'll take it. I'll take it. Because I think what Jeffrey Jones peddles is ignorance. And what a shame on them. What a shame to them that they have to do this. Over at the Daily Wire, they collected a few early comments. Charlotte Clymer of Catholics for Choice writes that Rush Limbaugh was a coward and white supremacist. Quote, he aggressively and cynically exploited divisions in our country by weaponizing hatred and bigotry for his own personal gain. He was in service to his own greed, prejudice, and hypocrisy. Really? Really? Mitt Romney's going to put you in chains. That's what Joe Biden said. Un. Believable. Uh, it goes on. I, I don't even know if I want to read it. Rip Rush Limbaugh. He died 69 years later than he should have. Wrote another famous writer, Sank Ugar, who used to work for AOC and heads the Progressive Caucus. Writes the idea that you say artificially nice things about people after they die is weird. I've never understood the logic of it. Rush Limbaugh was a terrible person while he was alive. He made a living by attacking the powerless. Really? Ted Kennedy being powerless? Really? Bill Clinton, powerless? Hillary Clinton, powerless? Yeah, the idea that you say artificially nice things about people after they die is weird. How about shutting up if you can't say something nice? Just shut up. We don't need to hear it. We don't need to hear it. The March for Our Lives movement founder... Worry not, his memory lives on through bigots everywhere. Wow. Wow. On and on it goes. Well, they'll find new targets. They already have. They already have. The Washington Post says um, the greatest threat to U.S. democracy now may no longer be Donald Trump, but Tucker Carlson. 
what is wrong with these people? What is a threat to democracy? Did Donald Trump ever try to curb the First Amendment at all or free speech at all? Or is he the victim of someone or someone's or companies trying to attack free speech? Is it not odd to anyone, to anyone, that a former president of the United States has no social media presence? Is that not odd to anyone? Is it not odd to anyone that someone who had the largest audience of any media outlet in America is being called a supremacist, a white supremacist by the left? Do you really think white supremacy is that big in this country? And can you give me an example of something supremacist he said, please? No, you cannot. Because you just, you just totally dilute the word and the toxicity of this once important and special phrase. Because to be a white supremacist once upon a time was a terrible thing. Now everyone who disagrees with you is a white supremacist, whether they're white or not, oddly, whether they're white or not. Was William Buckley a white supremacist? Yes. To them, yes. Now, in retrospect, yes. Yes, because everything now has been used to weaponize race. That is the left. That is the neo-Marxism of the left. Marx exploited the class struggle, the neo-Marxist create and then exploit the race struggle. And what's so awful about it, what's so awful about it, it's not only that it's not true 99.9% of the time, but once you're labeled that way, like this Disney actress, you may not work again. It's not that you just lost a job. You may have lost your profession. You may have lost your profession. It's an ugly cancel culture business they're involved in, and it's nothing short of the McCarthyism they used to say they hated, but they have now embraced and taken to a new fare well. More people are being banned and canceled by the new left than were ever affected by the Hollywood blacklists and Joe McCarthy. As I like to say, I would say shame on them, but the worst form of shame is having none, and they have none. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 after the hour means it's time for our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. Happy Wednesday, John. Happy hump day, as they say. Thank you so much. Ash Wednesday as well. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. All same to you. Thank you, sir. Dow rises to another record led by Verizon and Chevron, but tech weakness weighs on Mm -hmm. S&P 500. Yeah. Can you distill that for us? Well, I mean, we, we definitely saw a little bit of a, a pause uh, as we're seeing at the moment. But uh, is that a negative? No, I don't think so. I, I often look at times like this, Seth, and when we see pullbacks in the market, small pullbacks like this as opportunities. Uh, we don't see any really ch- major changes to uh, you know, the economy or the markets at the moment that should give us a reason to think that the market's going to go into some type of a, a long, protracted negative um, bias. Uh, I would say this, though. We did see recently today as retail sales came Yeah, I was going to ask you. Retail sales mm-hmm. rose a little over 5, right? Over 5%? 5, 5.3%. 5. Mm-hmm. 5. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and this this was uh, something that was expected in the 1.2% range. So, I mean, just completely blew 
blew out what the expectations were. And this is really uh, part of the, the thought could be as part of the stimulus checks mm-hmm. that went out. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether that's true or not, I still see that there's a lot of money that has been put into savings accounts across this country, which is which is good also. And I think that that's going to bode well as the economy begins to open up, as the vaccines begin to be uh, you know, administered more broadly, that we're going to see a lot more spending. And that's going to be good for the economy, and I think it's going to be good for the markets. Good, 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 good. Because we had had some lags for the last uh, few uh, yeah. few uh, few months, right? The last mm-hmm. few months saw um, a little uh, bit declines, soft. right? Yeah, yep, yep. Hey, the other thing too, Seth, of yeah. course, Rush Limbaugh, I'm sure you're going to yeah. talk about yeah. it today, but uh, we're sorry to hear that, of course. Yeah, I'm going to – thanks for mentioning that. He created this venue you and I yeah. are on. You have mm-hmm. a you have a weekend show. I do this uh, with you uh, during the weekdays. He created this format, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, John, and uh, so we'll have William Bennett on, old friend of his. He'll, he'll share some stories and then – I'm going to have uh, Dr. Tevi Troy on, a historian, later in the show talking about what he meant. Uh, it's hard to get your hands around what a big thing he was. And, and what he um, created, yeah. Yeah, he created the venue. He also created an economy and mm-hmm. created a lot of products. I don't yes. know if you remember yes, something. Snapple. Snapple, right? <laughs> Snapple, yeah. Right. <laughs> I sure do. Yeah, no, I remember. I don't know. Was that, when did he first hit the air as uh, for his radio show? 88. 88. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And then and then and then, yeah, I mean, there were there were there were products that and he was he did this, John. It's interesting because, you know, I'm sure people come to you and talk about uh, startups in in different, you know, whether whether they should be investing in startups in in different industries or different um, formats. And, um, you know, he he created a whole startup in media. You know, Mm -hmm. there was just nothing on AM national talk radio, the way he did it, nothing yeah. like it. Yeah, he, he and um, these companies saw that companies like Snapple did well to go mm-hmm. with him, didn't they? They sure did, and a few others. I, I don't. CompuServe, do you remember Comp- CompuServe? Yeah, yep. yeah. Oh yeah, gosh, he was uh, a real pioneer, John. Mm-hmm. A real pioneer. He sure was. What um, what do you uh, what do you say t- uh, to John um, on a day like today with the economy? Uh, you know. <laughs> Kind of looking better at the retail level, looking better at the Dow level. Mm-hmm. Energy is on a lot of people's minds. Chevron doing well. Is that because of things like we're seeing in Texas? Is it because people haven't been investing in energy? Or is it, um, is it something other than that? What, what, what's your thought on energy stocks these days? I just think it's a little bit of uh, energy stocks have not been in favor yeah, recently right. here. And we, we start to see the value that some of these energy stocks actually do have still matters right yes yeah. yes yeah. and you know we see uh, companies like exxon which were well above a hundred dollars you know dropping down below fifty dollars i mean what was the reason for that well of course there was a lot more oil mm-hmm. there was reasons for it uh but as we start to see some of the policies of the the current administration do we think oil prices are probably going to rise a bit yeah we're already starting to see that and, uh, you know, for, for a period of time, a short period of time, this could be a, a little pop for some of these energy companies that have been suffering uh, for a while. Uh, but I wouldn't get too caught up in it. Okay. I would just say that. Just yeah, be, be I know. Careful. You always like the even yeah. strain, and I like yeah. the, the steady strain. Mm-hmm. You want to mention your radio show? Yeah, The Word on Wealth. Uh, it's on Saturday mornings right there on KKMT, 960 The Patriot at 7 a.m. Tune in. Thanks, John. And I uh, appreciate it. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and CIPIC, and an investment advisor, Grant Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Bless you, sir. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. William Bennett will be with us uh, at the top of the next hour sharing his memories of Rush. And um, they were dear friends for many years. And uh, historian Tevi Troy in the third hour. Your calls, of course, 602-508-0960. There's Mark in Gold Canyon. Hi, Mark. <laughs> hey, Seth. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fine. I was in your neck of the woods over the long weekend. And oh. uh, we were we were looking at those Salt River wild horses. You ever see them? Uh, no. It's kind no, of fun. Sounds neat. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, listen. The reason I'm calling is I don't know if you remember. Um, last week we had a, a really nice conversation. I mean, I just I just love you to death. Thank you. I've been listening to you for years. Thank you. And uh, you we, compared we, me we... to David Carradine, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> is that the right mark in Gold Canyon? <laughs> yeah, Do I have the right guy? Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> but all I meant is I've been tough. called worse things. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we were talking about the outcome of uh, President Trump's um, uh, impeachment. Uh-huh. And I, I am so glad it came down on your side. I wanted to call you and congratulate us both Monday but uh, what can I so say? refresh like, my memory. What we uh, what we were saying? Just well, help me I out was here. I was all fired up, sure that he was going to be um, uh, found Convicted. guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and now you, I recall. Yes, that's you right. Tell, you said you, you could see a scenario where they would convict him. Right. Okay. Now yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Okay. So I'm just I just wanted to apologize. Oh and, gosh, uh, there's no need to apologize. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to call and tell you that you're you know you're right, doing something I, that pollsters never do, that consultants on cable news never do. You know they're in the business of predicting things, and they're more wrong than right usually. And yet they just you know they're they're there. They're, they they keep those jobs. They never apologize. This this is uh, it's very humble of you to do so. <laughs> when we get it wrong, we say so as a country yeah. and as a movement. Yeah. Well, you deserve it. Oh. Uh, and I also wanted to put my two cents in to uh, to let you know that uh, millions of us around the world are very saddened this day. It's weird when you think about what tomorrow will be like, because um, for a lot of people, Rush was there every day, every day. I don't know. I don't know what to compare it to exactly. Maybe. If you had a parent that you called every day, especially perhaps in their mm. last months or years, or yeah. and then that day stops, you know, and then there's that yeah. next day, and you reach for the phone, and you realize there's no point in making that phone call. You reach for that dial, and you realize that voice that's been with us, you know, uh, for well yeah. over 30 years now, yeah. it just it's not there anymore. And, and we had to prepare ourselves, yeah, but yeah. we knew it was coming. We did. We but, did. I think he handled it really well, I have to tell you. I don't know that there's a bad way to handle it, but I thought he handled it well. He went out uh, very, very, um, very nobly. And um, Spinoza said, uh, nature abhors a vacuum. And mm-hmm. indeed, um, mm-hmm. today our emptiness is great. Well, listen, you take care of yourself, Thanks, and uh, I'll call in again. I'd love, I'd love to hear from you. Love to do All it. All right, Seth. You bet. Thank you, sir. You bet. And the water's just fine for others, too. 602-508-0960. Donald Trump was uh, on Fox News this morning. That's, that's, that's power, you know. We haven't heard from Donald Trump since he left the White House. 
and it was Russia's death that prompted him to call into Fox News. And he said, for many people, Rush was uh, Russia's show. It was like um, a religious experience or church every day. And for millions, it was. It really was. And um, it's going to be empty. It's just going to be empty. In any event, uh, Steve Hayward wrote um, that Rush made it clear in recent shows that he was in his final days, yet nonetheless continued as best he could on air with his usual brio. He reminds me of Peter Schramm, who was teaching in the classroom up to the day before he died of terminal cancer back in 2015, because as Peter put it to me, quote, if I'm not in the classroom with students, I'm not living. Rush felt the same bond with his audience and kept faith with them right up to the last. You know who else did? Walter Williams, who was a guest host for Rush and just passed away. He died the night after he taught his last class at George Mason. Steve says, I'm not sure I have told the story here before of listening to Limbaugh in the mid-1980s when he was on local radio in Sacramento and not believing how great he was. And when I heard he was moving to New York in 1988 to launch a national show, I was certain he would be a huge hit. I got to tell him about being an early listener once on a telephone call, and he was genuinely flattered that I was an original ditto head. I was always flattered in return when he quoted something from me that appeared on Powerline, which he did several times. I only met him in person once early in his national career, about 1990, when he passed through Los Angeles on one of his speaking tours. The National Review invited me to join Rush Limbaugh and Charlton Heston for a small meeting over in West Los Angeles. I don't remember the meeting much at all, but I do remember drinks at the bar afterwards, including trying to convince Heston that he should run for the U.S. Senate in California. Quote, you can't do Shakespeare in the Senate, he complained. Limbaugh can't be replaced. Full stop. There is no one else remotely like him. I had forgotten that I spoke some months ago to the Washington Times for their pre-prepared obituary of Rush, in which I said the political history of the last 30 years would have been different without him and his huge audience. There are many other fine conservative radio hosts, but Rush stands apart. He was the Babe Ruth and Tom Brady of talk radio. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. It's funny that uh, it's hard and we kind of struggle to find analogies or analogs, I guess is the better way to put it to rush because there is um, absolutely, absolutely nothing like it. I was going to talk today in my monologue. I have to tell you, and I'm happy to do it with you if you want. I was going to talk today about schools and school reopenings and what the schools are teaching. That was what my monologue was going to be on. And um, one of the, and I obviously changed it and replaced it when I saw the news of uh, Russia's passing. But, boy, this story is a big one. It really is. Um, as Paul Mirangoff puts it, Kamala Harris is dodging pathetically on school reopenings. Joe Biden is lying about the vaccine. Did you see he said last night at a CNN town hall there was no vaccine when we got to the White House? He had the vaccine when he got to He had it injected into him. We watched it on TV are the fact checkers going to do anything with this or will it just be thrown off and considered, oh, that's Joe? No one ever said, oh, that's Don. Oh, that's old Joe. He can just lie with impunity. 
We'll get used to it. Get used to a lot more of it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Bill Bennett coming up with his memories of Rush Limbaugh at the other side of this hour. We've talked a little bit uh, here and there about what states can do while the um, majority of state legislatures are run by Republicans, though the federal U.S. Senate and Congress is run by Democrats, and we've talked about election integrity reform. There's another interesting thing we can be doing because, as you know, one theme of mine here is we've got to get into the schools. We've got to either change the school, get into them and change them, or leave them. One of the two, given the uh, crud curriculum that they peddle. Stanley Kurtz, one of my favorite people, frequent guest here from uh, Ethics and Public's, uh, Public Ethics and Public Policy Center. He um, Ethics and Public Policy Center (EPPC). Yes, Stanley Kurtz has drafted state model legislation to help with civics in the classroom. There's a, a post on it over at Powerline, and. Um, it, uh, it's called the Partisanship Out of Civics Act that states could adopt. Uh, the legislation would prevent teachers from being compelled to discuss current events or widely debated controversial issues. This notion that teachers have to bring current events into the classroom is a new notion. I have to tell you, I don't remember any when I was in school. I remember doing current events with friends outside of the classroom. I don't remember it. Outside of perhaps debate club, which was a club, uh, we we didn't do civics was about history and the way the country worked and the way politics worked. It wasn't about current events. But Stanley writes that many teachers prefer, prefer to avoid current controversies for fear of imposing their views on students or especially nowadays finding themselves attacked for whatever they do or do not say. Civics can be taught perfectly well without invoking current controversies. That's the way to do it. That is the way to do it. Civics teachers don't have to think that to teach civics you have to read today's New York Times. Better that you should read the Federalist Papers. Better that you should read the Constitution. Better that you should read Abraham Lincoln's speeches. That is to say, if you don't think Abraham Lincoln was a colonialist like they do in San Francisco. Stanley writes in cases where current controversies are raised in class, the model bill says teachers should strive to explore such issues from diverse and contending perspectives. This is not a mandate for any particular sort of balance. It's a mandate for balance. The word strive marks the provision as aspirational. Rather than a detailed directive, the provision merely articulates an important ideal. Teachers who choose to explore current controversies ought to at least attempt to avoid indoctrination and expose students to contending points of view. You know what we used to call that? Education. Contending points of view. Some people think this, some people think that. Do you teach the Anti-Federalist Papers with the Federalist Papers? Well, you should. Do you teach the Republican line if you teach the Democratic line? Well, you should. But we don't. But we should. We'll be right back. <laughs> 